Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 4, Episode 7, Watergate. Watergate. So today we're going to do things a little bit differently. Usually, uh, I am the pinky to Carrie's brain in this operation. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Where Carrie looks up all the summary information, she does all the narrating of the regular show, and I just pepper stuff in with like, but fine. Why does Daniel wear a tutu? And it just like doesn't work. (laughs) So today I thought I would give Carrie a little break. Today I'm going to be the brain. We'll see how it goes. I will be doing the summary and theoretically the fun facts. And Carrie will be peppering it in with her brainisms or her pinkyisms, I guess it would be. I will be the the color commentary for this week. Yes, because I just got back. I just got back from vacation uh and i was like i can't do a thing so rachel's gonna do the thing that i usually do and we'll see how it goes this week (laughs) if it doesn't go well um we will record this episode again tomorrow and you will have never heard this right it will be be a really long outtake that is posted later (laughs) yes Um, the time Rachel tried to do the thing and it didn't work. I'm sure you'll be great, Rachel. I believe in you. <sighs> you okay. can do it. Alrighty. Well, so we will get started with the okay. basics. So the original air date was August 11th, 2000. What were you doing then? Um, preparing to go back to college for my senior year. Yeah, because I graduated in 01 from college, so this would have been, yeah, a couple weeks before I went back for, yeah, senior year. Oh, how about it? So you were, like, mm-hmm. ready to be done with college. Yep. Having a fun summer. Well, you know, working. Riding your convertible around town like summer kids do, getting a malt at the, at the shake mm-hmm. shop. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Exactly that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Stocking up on cheese, getting ready to go back. To oh Wisconsin. no! I went to school in Wisconsin. They got plenty of cheese. I did not need to bring my own. Oh, that's right. They would have had. They just hand it out to you when you go to college. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like, welcome to Wisconsin. Here's cheese. Here's cheese, porno beer. Cheese, porno beer. Cheese. Anyway, sorry. That's a joke for Wisconsin people. <laughs> With love. Yes. Yes. Um, so this one was written by Robert C. Cooper, and the last time we experienced one of his episodes was um, the first one of the season, 401 Small Victories. So he's actually kind of keeping it consistent with the storyline of the Asgard ship and those whole events, which I okay. thought was kind of neat. It was directed by Martin Wood, and the last one he directed was 405, a couple episodes before this, Divide and Conquer, the Tokra Gould mind control one that we like to so. pretend doesn't exist. <laughs> this one was way better. Yes. 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 Well done. And the summary of this one is when the Stargate won't open, the team learns that the Russians have their own Stargate apparently recovered after an Asgard ship crashed on Earth. <gasps> no. Dun-dun. And so um, I saw a fandom thing that said that this episode is supposed to take place like two months after the events of Small Victories. Okay. So it's a fairly small time window, which is a it lot. Is. It's a lot to take place between then and now. That Yeah. If you think about it, like, yeah, that does seem like a very short yeah. 
time and, span. And that whole time loop frame in window of opportunity doesn't count. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Two months minus whatever the window of opportunity loop yep. was. Yep. Yeah. Yes. All right. So when we jump into this episode, the action is already in progress in the middle of what's going on. And so it's SG1. They're walking towards the gate, kind of discussing where they're going. And so um, Sam is talking about the atmospheric conditions on the planet that they're going to. And Daniel makes the comment that it's going to take us two weeks to get the Incarns fully transplanted which is interesting because we have no idea who the Incarns are. We find out like a couple episodes later. So they're actually yeah. talking about a species that we have no idea yet. Yeah. But I really liked how they were still talking about how they are actually helping other species. Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the things they mentioned in uh, the commentary for this episode is like this episode in this first sort of like cold like this the the sort of opening of this like here and then sort of just after the credits has the most references to like other episodes um because it sort of references well like a future episode and then once they sort of move up to the control room there's references to like three maybe four or five other like previous stargate episodes oh yeah and i yeah. like how they do that because they'll they'll make a comment and then be like oh like the time we did that thing and then they'll reference yep. the other episode to kind of catch the audience up to mm -hmm. the action but you're right that is a lot of references to other yeah. stuff yeah i bet they had to do that because a lot of the things they bring into it <laughs> they had to blatantly be like uh huh like yep. the time we did that thing yes like the yeah. time they did the thing yeah so they're walking towards the Stargate and all of the chevrons are locking and it comes to when the seventh chevron would have engaged, but like nothing happens. It's as if they're getting the busy signal. Everyone kind of looks confused at each other and Sergeant Davis up in the booth is like, I don't know what's going on. Everything looks fine from all the diagnostics. So O'Neill gives Carter a nod and she goes up to the control room to offer help. And she ends up just telling the team, like, this is going to take a while. We don't we don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and I read a little tidbit that said that they're using the wrong Stargate because yes, they're, you, you saw this as well in the commentary. <laughs> yeah, but they're just using the regular Stargate that's always on set, which is actually the Alpha Stargate. It's not the beta Stargate that they're supposed to be using. Yeah, because so the thing is, like, there's only one gate that actually moves, like, where the inner ring actually spins. And it is the the Giza gate that has the point of origin of the, the Giza pyramid with the sun above it. The sort of not like the sort of open triangle with the circle above it. Mm -hmm. um, but at this point, the SGC is supposed to be using the Antarctic gate, which has a completely different point of origin so that symbol should not be on that gate like at all but from from a production standpoint they only have one actual moving gate so that's why it's there unfortunately i'm kind of surprised though they didn't at least try to cover that piece yeah it's like, kind of at least maybe make it work and have people be like hey that one isn't supposed to move but it has all the right pieces yeah because like the the antarctic gate point of origin is just like a circle with like a line under it so it's not even like super complicated like yeah. I feel like props should have been able to make something they could have maybe glued over yeah. that at least okay, because it is like very obvious that that 
is an error at this point in the show. Yeah. 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 Continuity error. Yes. You should be paying attention to that one. So. The next cut of the scene is um, all of SG-1 is up in the booth with Sergeant Davis and General Hammond, and they are discussing what could be the problem for why the gate is not fully engaged. And Carter notes that there was an energy spike a few minutes as she's looking at the computer. She noticed there was an energy spike a few minutes before they tried to dial out. And Daniel points out that the last time something like this happened, it was due to another gate being active on Earth. And uh, the only other gate that they can think of is the one that was on the Asgard ship that crashed into the ocean. And they assumed that it must have been destroyed with the rest of the ship. But Samantha continues that if there is another active gate responsible for them not being able to dial out, they would be able to locate it due to a corresponding seismic tremor that happened at the same time. Which is from Solitudes. (laughs) Yes. There's our second reference. Yes. And what I love about this moment is that, like, not even three seconds after she says that, Sergeant Davis is like, I've got something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. They're very quick on the button in the show. Oh, yeah. They're telepathic. of like, aha, I'm already ahead of you. So SG-1 all gathers around the map where Sergeant Davis is pointing out where the seismic tremor came from. And um, when I was looking up all the fun facts and stuff, somewhere pointed out that that map is actually wrong. Yeah. That, like, the mm-hmm. Russian cities are not put in the right place, and they have it as, like, Mongolia is part of Russia. Yeah. And, just... <laughs> yeah. and I, with some of the stuff that happens with the, the things that are off in this episode, I really wonder whether they were mistakes or things that they had to do on purpose so as not to, like, piss Russia off. <laughs> I just, Ew. I don't yeah. know. That's that's possible, yeah. Kind of make like a fake, you know, Russia and not get too close to actual space alien Russia. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. So so the map is off and and Mm -hmm. cities are off, but they're looking at Russia. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so O'Neill O'Neill looks at the looks at the map and he's like, "Is that Siberia?" And Carter goes, "Yes, sir. There's only one explanation that I can think of." And then the scene ends with Daniel with very mixed emotions on his face going, "The Russians have a stargate?" Yes, the Ru- what? The Russians no, what? what? Russia has a stargate? What? Uh and also apparently off camera watching the scene being filmed was Kurt Russell. Yes, he visited the set. He visited the set. Apparently dressed as Elvis when he was filming 3,000 Miles to Graceland, I think, was the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like the original O'Neill was watching Richard Dean Anderson be the new O'Neill, which is weird to think about, but kind of cool. Do you suppose he gave notes? No. No. He was just like, you do your thing, man. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Because Richard Dean Anderson is O'Neill with two L's. And Kurt Russell was O'Neill with one L. So. Oh, that's right. The L makes all the difference in the character. <laughs> it does, yes. But so at that point, do you think, if you were someone that didn't know what was happening, would you think that Russia somehow got their hands on a third gate? I don't... I mean, maybe, but how? I think because... Everything that they know up to this point lines up with Russia having a gate. And we know where a Stargate crashed. And we know there were Russian military vessels in the vicinity of 
where that gate was in the ocean. So I don't know if I would go necessarily to a third gate, but quite possibly, oh crap, how did we miss that gate uh, on the ocean floor? How did Russia get there before we did? Yeah. 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 Also, this episode, of course, brings up the conversation that we've had multiple times on, like, how is the SGC and the United States of America, like, the only country that are dealing with global alien issues? And when we learn that another country has a gate, all of a sudden we're like, oh, my God, no. And because, I mean, because in reality, like, the expression is like, oh, my God, what are they going to use it against us? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know is that paranoia but at the same time like obviously that's what all of the other countries would be worrying about yeah us being the only country hiding it from the rest of the world yep (sighs) but of course we would never use it for evil we're the United States of America we would never our intentions are always awesome and never (laughs) nothing ever goes wrong no, yeah. and we're always on the side of good, always. Yeah. So we get to the next scene, which is everybody in the briefing room, mm-hmm. and Hammond is relaying the information that he has acquired since the last scene. And mm-hmm. I love to think in my head that directly after they had the brainstorm in the control room, Hammond got on the red phone and was like, "What in the Sam Hill <laughs> is going yeah. on in Russia? You tell me right now." Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love to hear like who was on the other end of that phone being like, um, let me get back to you. Yeah. Because I guess the and then the question is, because obviously Russia didn't like call the use and be like, hey, we found your Stargate. So yeah, like how did that kind conver- of like how much time has passed since that scene in the control room where they figured out it was in Russia? Yeah. Because that did not happen in like 20 minutes or anything. No. So. Because obviously yeah. it would have had to have been like, it went straight to the president who had to call the Russian president and be like, dude, we yeah. know you have a Stargate. And of course, Russia would be like, what? Star- Stargate? What are these <laughs> what words that you're saying? And yeah, I, I would really like to see that conversation. Also, how many days have passed since. Yeah. Since the initial the gate won't dial out incident, because this did not happen quickly. Right. Yeah. With with all of the playing cat and mouse and finally like, all right, fine. fine. We have a strike. And yeah. Yeah. They're all in the same costumes, though, I think. So I think the intention is to make it seem like not a lot of time has passed. Aren't they? Aren't they all still in their gear? I don't well, I mean, they're still in, like, the BDQs, but also that's just their sort of general base costuming, so, yeah, I, yeah it's 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 difficult to say if, it, if it's intentioned to be the same day or not. Yeah. yeah. But at any rate, so Hammond starts the conversation by saying that Russia has admitted to having a Stargate that was recovered from the Asgard ship crash, and... And so Jack then is like, I thought we swept the whole area. And Hammond's like, we're talking about hundreds of square miles, Colonel, which I love is the response of like, the ocean is big. Yes. Big <laughs> and deep and deep. Yes. Yeah. And so We've explored said, more space than we have ocean. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 
Like, we live here and we've explored more stuff that's not on this planet than we have the stuff that's on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, then he continues on to say the Russian Navy was on alert because they picked up Thor's ship on satellite. They must have got lucky and beat us to it. So they so the response was basically like the ocean is big and they got there first. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they make a lot of callbacks to the other episodes which mm-hmm. and Carter is amazed that they are actually admitting to having the Stargate and then Hammond responds that they didn't give them the choice since we presented them with evidence so he says that the Pentagon got involved so that also alludes to you know time <laughs> yeah so okay so like so Major Davis he works at the Pentagon so right. he would have had to, I'm sure, like be involved in this whole conversation at some point. Yeah. Man, then why wasn't he in this episode giving the brief? No. Bring Colin back. Ugh. Anyway. That would have been awesome. So yeah. um, so then Daniel says that he is impressed that they actually got it working. And Hammond responds by saying apparently the Russians know quite a bit about the SGC, which are we really surprised by Russian spies? Mm, yeah. No. Yeah. I feel like it was only a matter of time. Yeah. Before spies were involved. Yes. Um, but then, so Hammond then lays down like the big plot line of the episode is that Russia was able to turn the gate on, but they haven't been able to turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, given everything we know about the gate, the gate not just like turning off automatically is a big deal capital b capital d like something major is going on with whatever russia did and you know they they go through the whole thing of like well what we already know is that the ghouls haven't been able to get it longer than 38 minutes and uh you know maybe it's a black hole thing and carter says they didn't detect any gravity and so they're kind of brainstorming and trying to figure out what what and you know Mm -hmm. they got nothing but um hammond says that the Stargate program in Russia was actually started against the wishes of the Russian president. So mm-hmm. until the United States contacted them, their plan for dealing with this mess was just to blow up the, the facility. Oh, I'm not talking anymore. Was just to blow up the facility and pretend like it never happened. <laughs> Which sounds like yep. a great plan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's just blow it up and bury it. Never happened. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which would, which would also be really stealthy, I'm sure. Um, yes. And because mm-hmm. all of that Nakoda would be really, really quiet in in a big yep. old explosion. Um, mm-hmm. But they say that you know one of the one of the scientists on the Russia team persuaded them otherwise, and you know wanted to bring in a special team to see if they could assist. So when Carter asks who the scientist is. They say it is Dr. Svetlana Markov, and she and Carter are both familiar with each other's work. Thus, drumroll, SG-1 is going to be the team that's allowed to go in. <gasps> what? what? It's SG-1. Are you kidding? What? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Surprise. And, of course, Jack is very against the whole thing because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to help Russia whatsoever. Right. But then everybody else kind of points out to him of, like, no, no, no. If we don't get this fixed, then we can't use our gate and also no good, very bad time having just a random gate open to who knows where for who knows yep. how long. And then yep. he's kind of like, okay. 
Um, I did learn that in the fun facts that mm-hmm. um, Russian females have the last name ending in a vowel. So Dr. Yes. Mar- Markov should actually be Markova. Yes. Mm-hmm. But but she is she is Markov here. Yes. So mm-hmm. she's a woman man. Yes. Uh, fun fact from the commentary. Um, so in in like the briefing room. So this season, I think we mentioned it uh, uh, in like episode one or two from this season. Um, that sort of window between the briefing room and Hammond's office now has like a, a rear projection screen on it which you can sort of see behind Hammond in this specific scene. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of makes this scene more interesting to film. And one of the things that sort of pops up on that screen while they're going through this whole conversation is actually the location of all of the off-world teams. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not in focus, but, yeah, one of the things that sort of pops up is the sort of rotating thing of, yeah, where all of the off-world teams are because there's – like seven six or seven teams off world at this point and with you know the russian gate open they can't get home so that is obviously a point of we need to figure this out because we have people stuck off world that can't get back at yeah i can't even communicate and tell them what's yeah. going on yeah that's no good mm-hmm. no good whatsoever nope so the the next scene is SG-1 getting off the initial plane in Russia, which is then going to connect them. They're going to connect there and then go to Siberia. So this is where they rendezvous with Dr. Markov. <gasps> Dr. Markov is played by the amazing, I hope I'm saying her name right because I've only ever seen it written, but Marina Sirtis? Sirtis. Sirtis. Okay, yes. yes. Yeah, yes. I've only ever seen it written. Um whom I love from Star Trek. We all love from yes. Star Trek. Yes. Everyone loves her. Yes. She's fantastic. Um, so I read in the IMDb fun facts that for this particular role, she beat out like 19 other people. Um, 17 of them were actually Russian and she's yep. from London. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. One of the cool things that they brought up in the commentary is, um, so this is an actual like U.S. plane that was sort of being flown from Alaska down to, I think, California, where it's going to be like a Coast Guard ship. Um, and it had to like stop in Vancouver for, I don't know, refueling or customs or who knows, whatever. Um, but a lot of the extras you see sort of walking around the plane are the actual crew of that plane like the pilot and like the ground crew and stuff that like flew with that plane and then um like this shot we get briefly of when the plane takes off is not a stock shot it's an actual shot of that actual plane flying taking back off taking off because and some of the stuff they did film while they were in flight um like not all of it and, like, they were originally not going to be able to do that, but it's a U.S. plane on Canadian soil, and the pilot was like, yeah, sure, let's go. No, that's funny. Yep. Yep. That would be really fun if you're yeah. on the crew of a plane, and all of a sudden someone's like, hey, you're not doing anything today. Do you want to be an extra on a TV show? <laughs> like, okay. Yep. yep. That would be kind of a fun mm-hmm. off day. That's fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so they rendezvous with Dr. Markov at this base and she exchanges pleasantries with everyone and you know she and carter say that they are you know fans of each other's work and they are sad that they're finally meeting 
under these circumstances. And then it's curious because she already is familiar with everyone else on the <laughs> SG-1 team. And of course, Jack is the one to ask. And she responds with, I have read extensive files on all of you. And he says, the question is how? And she comes back with, I learned to read English at age of six. It was not difficult. <laughs> I... <laughs> I love how the the like this scene and the next scene on the plane get played with her like answering the question but also not answering, not answering the, question, the question and then yeah. sort of Jack responding and kind of like not responding yeah. to the questions that she's asking asking but also like answering the questions but not yeah. answering the questions. It's like, well, I've learned all about you. How? Because I learned to read English. That's not <laughs> like that's not <laughs> what he's asking. <laughs> Learn to read English at six. It was not difficult. Also, I will I will apologize ahead of time. I whenever I'm doing a Markov line, I will attempt to do my Russian accent. Sometimes it comes out okay. Sometimes I sound like Gru. So we'll just <laughs> so we will see how that goes. Um, but yeah, there's so much snark in this whole episode in general. Love it. I'm here for it. Um, Me too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so they exchange the look of you know, answer or not answer, but she does say that she will tell them what she can when they're on the plane. So they all get on the plane bound for Siberia. And so the plane that they're actually on, like, of course, it's not an actual like passenger plane. It looks like they're all just kind of sitting on either side of a large cargo ship, um, you know, of course, talking to each other through the, the microphones. And she tells them that she was contacted about two months prior when Russia picked up on what seemed to be an alien spacecraft entering the Earth's atmosphere, and they found the Stargate after searching the ocean's floor. Around the same time, one of their submarines went missing, and she looks to SG-1 for confirmation of their knowledge of these events, and they just kind of react like, oh, wow, aliens, really? Oh, so weird. so strange, but I can't. Aliens, that's interesting. It's crazy. And so she continues saying that she was assigned as the chief science officer on the project, reporting to a Russian military colonel, Sarkolov. Um, the program, she said, had been up and running for a little over a month. So that means they got it up and running really fast. If yeah. she was called like two months ago and they had already been like make you know, starting the program for like over a month. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they got it. Mm-hmm. They got it up and running pretty fast. So mm-hmm. um, she notes that the program was in operation, even though it was against the wishes of some high-powered Russian government officials, who we already mm-hmm. know one of them is the Russian president. Yep. And um, instead, what they had wanted to do was use the Stargate as leverage to get the U.S. to share technology that they already had, or else have the whole SGC Stargate program exposed to the world. And Mm. what stopped them from doing that was the fact that they got the gate working in Russia. And Dr. Markolov convinced them that having their own program was better than trusting the U.S. Yep. That that makes sense for this time period in U.S. history. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is the kind of thing that you don't want to hear, but you get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, And so the big reveal is that Daniel asks how they got the gate working and the answer is that they have the giza dhd <gasps> what? what what there was a dhd in giza are you kidding me what so 
what I kind of wonder is, so she says that they confiscated it from Germany after World War II. Mm-hmm. What do you suppose they thought it was the whole time? I mean, that's a very good question because it couldn't have been in in like in like physical proximity. It couldn't have been very far away from where the gate itself was discovered. So was there something that delayed after they sort of uncovered the DHD? Was there something that then delayed further excavation and the discovery of the gate itself? Or, yeah, I don't... There's a million possibilities running through my brain at this moment. And because if you find that thing in physical proximity to the gate itself, Obviously, those things go together because the symbols on them and stuff would obviously match up and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Did did something happen in between the discovery of both of those objects where it just information was lost between, hey, we found this thing. It looks like this has these things on it. Ship it off to, you know, who knows where in Germany. And then... It's World War II, chaos, the world around, and then something happens and then the gate itself is found sometime later. I don't, it is, it is very interesting that those two archaeological objects were separated because they very obviously would belong together. Yeah, and and so I'm sure it would have been interesting when, you know, information started getting leaked to them about the Stargate program and they would like read the mission logs and read about a DHD and all of a sudden be like, wait a minute. What, we, this thing? we have one of those. That sounds like this thing we have in the storage in Kiev. What? Yeah, no. Here, we, we need the other thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I mean, from that point of view, you can you can see how they would be extremely motivated to find the Stargate that seemingly oh, yeah. would have gone missing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Also in this conversation, Markalov goes on to explain that in order to kind of remain stealthy and not cross paths with the other beta gate that SG-1 has, they would strategically disconnect it, disconnect the Stargate from the DHD, which was the power source, and they would only connect it when they were using it, which... Also is a really interesting tidbit to add for learning about how the Stargate works, but we have seen other episodes where the Stargate has no apparent power source and is not hooked up to anything and somehow it's still working. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a bit of it. It's like, Oh, that makes sense. But also if you think about it, not completely. Yeah. Like it's, it's a really good thing to have now, but they probably should have established that. (laughs) <laughs> earlier before they had yeah. other episodes where there was just like a random Stargate. But I mean, it it does kind of match up with the fact that like, you know, they tell planets, hey, if you just bury your gate, the gold won't bother you anymore. Yeah. And obviously that's like disconnected. Or, ooh, maybe it doesn't even do that if it's still in proximity. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess one of the questions is, how is the DHD connected to the gate? Like, go, like going back to like ancient Egypt and stuff. Was there an actual physical connection between 
the DHD and the gate at that point in time, because again, it's alien technology. Who knows what they had? Um, I mean, currently now, yes, there is a, f- a physical connection between the DHD and the gate. So we do know that the gate, even when disconnected from a DHD or even like the SGC's power source, will retain a charge for some time. It doesn't just completely power off like if you unplug your TV. It doesn't just completely lose power. So there are some interesting questions there as far as like the physical connection, like even because if maybe the SGC gate has the actual physical connection to its power source, even though it's not a DHD, does that somehow supersede whatever lingering power might be in the gate that Russia has because there's yeah. an actual physical power source connected. So there's more power to that gate. I don't, there's, yeah, there, there are, there are some questions left <laughs> with that tidbit of information. Yeah. Also it brings up like, how do you determine what's the alpha gate and what's the beta gate? Because in this case, they're saying it's the alpha gate because it has a DHD. But doesn't mm-hmm. the Antarctica gate have a DHD? It was just buried at the time and they couldn't use it. The DHD in the Antarctic gate was like broken and like could not busted. be used. Yeah, it was, like, right. it was completely broken. No power at all there, which is why they couldn't dial out from Antarctica. Right. Yeah, I can't remember um, who was that or if it was like buried in ice. Yeah. No, yeah. it was just it was like completely busted. No. Yeah. <gasps> no, 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 no. No. Sorry. No. No. So it did have power. They were able to that's how the whole busy signal thing got found. Uh, so they they have the DHD from Antarctica. They just haven't used it because they already had the SGC thing mm. up and working yeah so i be- i think and somebody i'm sure will write in and tell me that i'm wrong um <laughs> <laughs> the the antarctic dhd is just in storage okay. somewhere yeah so then yeah. i wonder how they determine the alpha gate and the beta gate i believe it is according to sort of stargate lore mythology like the DHD supersedes anything else. So if there is a DHD attached, whatever gate is attached to that DHD is the alpha or the main gate for that planet. Mm-hmm. So even so I guess the question is, okay, so yes, the DHD is attached, so that gate becomes the alpha gate, but once you de- once you physically detach the gate, there's still power there. So is it just that physical connection? that determines alpha over beta gate. Well, I'm saying like if both of the gates actually now have DHDs that go with them mm-hmm. and you hooked them both up, I guess it would just be, you know, dialing according to the origin symbols or no, then if you don't, di- yeah. how would they, how would they figure that? <laughs> how would they figure that one out? Okay. So are you like, are you talking about like dialing to earth from off world? Yeah. So, okay, so dialing to Earth would be the six symbols for Earth, and then the seventh symbol would just be the point of origin for the planet that you're on. Mm -hmm. So as far as where that would connect on Earth, if 
the Antarctic gate is still connected to a DHD, it would go there because DHD supersedes everything. Right. And is like, this is the gate for this planet. So I guess the question is then, even if the physical connection between DHD and gate is broken, the gate itself still has power because that's already been established in Stargate canon. Even if mm-hmm. there's not a physical connection, there's still some sort of lingering power there. But does then, because the SGC has an actual physical, physically connected power source, would that then supersede whatever lingering power is from the previously DHD connected gate? Right. But I'm presenting a completely hypothetical situation okay. where now that Russia has a DHD connected to mm-hmm. the Alpha Gate, what yeah. if they're like, ooh, let's get the Antarctica Gate DHD out of storage, fix it, and attach it to the Beta Gate so that I both th- of the gates now have DHDs? I think that's a question we get answered later. Oh, okay. In 48 hours. Oh, I believe. Sweet. I was going to say if it's in this episode, I tell you this. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not in this episode. I think, I think, I think we get, <laughs> okay. Um, because there is, I think it's the episode 48 hours. I think that's the name of that episode where Tilk gets stuck in the gate Oh, yes, yes, yes. And they have to bring in the Antarctic DHD, or no, the Gie- they have to bring in the Giza DHD because the Antarctic DHD is just out of juice and can't be used because it's out of juice, it's out of power, and it's just dead and done. So they bring in the Giza DHD to get Tilk out of the gate because he's stuck in the buffer. That's right. I think that's what oh, happens. Well- well, that'll be fun. All right. Well, let's anyway, put in, let's put a pin in this conversation then and save it for 48 yes. hours. Yeah. Yes. So they're still on the plane and a message comes from the pilot that says they can see the runway, but they're not getting any response from the tower. And it looks like the runway is covered in ice, to which then Markov then says to the rest of the group on the plane, we're going to have to jump. And Daniel's like, off the plane? <laughs> I, my, I mean, my is just out of the plane. Yes, 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 Daniel, out of the plane. <laughs> and nobody looks happy about this plan. No. Teal looks confused. Mm-hmm. Carter's like, just closes her eyes like, ah, no, nobody's happy about this. Um and then I love the snarky exchange when Markov looks at Jack and she's like, I'm going with her without you, Colonel. And he's like, I suppose you expected my male bravado to kick in right about now. And she's like, I read your file. And he's like, no mention of bravado. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. I do love their banter. Yes. It is nice. Yes. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. And um, I read a little thing that actually like when – you know, they proceed to jump out of the plane. Um, the outfit that Markov is wearing is actually the wrong kind of camouflage. Yeah, I saw that too. I didn't completely yeah. understand what that sort of glitch was talking about. So the thing I read was from IMDb, and it says Dr. Markov is wearing a rain pattern camouflage for the parachute jump. While this pattern was used by several Warsaw Pact countries, such as Poland and East Germany, it was never used in Soviet Union or the Russian Federation. Hmm. Okay. So that, like, the actual pattern on her coat is 
was not used by Russia. Right. Was not issued. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Which I thought was an interesting yeah. continuity error. But again, like with these inconsistencies, I really wonder, like, are they really mistakes or are they things that they did on purpose to kind of tweak to yeah. not make everything on purpose spot on Russian? Yeah. You know, just in case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, these, yeah, I figured these yeah. kind of things. Um, so the team finally make it out of the plane, and uh, Jack and Carter have to explain to Teal what a parachute is and what it is for. <laughs> I know. And he's just, I just, I like, I love this character beat for Teal, and he's like, this does not seem wise, O'Neill. Because, of course, like, he would never have encountered having to jump out of an aircraft before because they have tra- like transport rings and all like stargates and all of this stuff like just hurling yourself out of a plane is the dumbest idea ever <laughs> and i love when he like looks at the parachute they give him and he says the line where he's like this device appears to be poorly designed to perform such function yes. <laughs> all of us have thought this at one point or another that's why i will not skydive nope no thank you no, thanks. Nope. Mm-mm. Hats off to those of you that have that ability, but nope. 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 No, thank you. Nope. Um, but I also have fun <laughs> imagining when that was filmed because you just have like the plane and you have like all of them looking down out of the hangar and then they all just kind of like jump spread eagle out of the plane. And yes. I imagine filming that where all this like jumping onto a huge mat just being like, yes. Wee! <laughs> and they are the film they were on the ground with like huge fans to like yeah. make the wind and everybody just like face planting onto giant yeah mats and stuff so that had to have been really fun yeah and as the, the commentary mentioned something interesting that like Richard Dean Anderson was the only person who'd ever done that kind of thing before so if you look at how everybody jumps off the plane Jack mm-hmm. is really the only one who like jumps how you would actually jump out of a plane to like skydive down is that like from his macgyver days or i guess so yeah prior training yeah yeah i think the other the other interesting thing that like this parachute jump does is um like the 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 general plot of this episode is very is fairly straightforward. It's just like there's an issue in Russia. Let's go figure out what it is. Blah blah blah. Like there's not a lot of sort of like A and B plot. It's all just sort of one story. Mm-hmm. And like this parachute jump because they have to do that. It ends up like separating the team without. Yeah. But there's also then not really any peril with that. But there's still a sort of they all need to find each other. Did everybody make it to where we were going Mm -hmm. and just sort of adds like a a bit of a sort of layer to what's a fairly straightforward plot. Oh yeah. Rather than just point A to point B moving along. Yeah. I do like that. That was an interesting touch. Mm -hmm. And it does add a bit of humor when they're trying to look for each other too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, when they when they do come out of the plane and they all land, it ends up being Jack Carter and Markov together. And then Teal'c and Daniel are elsewhere and they're trying to find them mm-hmm. on the radio once they get in the facility. 
And so the focus is on the three, Jack Carter and Markov, trying to find the other two and they go into the facility. And this is where you learn that the facility like is converted from an experimental experimental power station yeah. into the Stargate facility. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that was a really interesting touch for like set design and something of of that must have been really fun to like design some design a building clearly meant for this one thing thrown together for this other thing. Did 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 the set not look familiar? I saw. So I was looking in the you know stuff it says that it's the portman power station in surrey mm-hmm. canada and it named a whole other tv show that used it for different stuff but did you find where it was actually used elsewhere in stargate yes yeah okay i didn't Com- pay that close attention Comtria. oh that was in there yeah oh, okay well i mean that makes total sense yes is that Maybe. yeah Mm-hmm. Did they have that in my fun facts? I don't know. Boom, fun facts, boom. The thing I found was that it was used for various episodes of um, Tin Man. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. And like Battlestar Galactica oh. I got used for. And yeah, it's used oh, a lot in like yeah. Vancouver. If Yeah, if something's filmed in Vancouver, it's probably <laughs> does it count there. as Does it count as Vancouver bingo then? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't <laughs> the know because it is. It is specifically Vancouver actors bingo. I don't think we have Vancouver set bingo. No. That would be interesting, yes. Can that be like the ming- the middle three phase? <laughs> the Portman <laughs> Power Station is the three phase. <laughs> the more, yes. I like it. Let's do it. Yes. Okay. I'm Stick on board. that in the middle. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So once the team regroups, uh, Daniel, you know, they... They were going to go in the direction of the Stargate, but Daniel says that he has something to show them first, and he takes them straight to where he has found, unfortunately, dead people. Um, Some of them shot, some of them mysteriously dead, and up until now, it's just been, like, dark and creepy, and you don't know where everybody went. It seems like it was abandoned, so when you actually find dead people, it's like, oh, crap, something actually happened here that was bad. Mm -hmm. Not good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in this time, Teal'c and Daniel had also found each other, so the whole group is back together. Yay! Yay! So they decide to continue on to find the Stargate, and they are taken to where they find a big set of heavy doors, and Mark Markov unlocks the doors with her key pass, and they push open the big doors to reveal the Stargate which is still active and unfortunately also is surrounded by more dead people. Yes. Some of them shot, some of them not. So something happened. Mm -hmm. Oh, I also found someone pointed out somewhere along the way that like most of the Russian text scene in this episode is basically just Russian letter gobbledygook. It doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. Which was another thing that made me wonder, like, hmm, did they, you know, make that something on purpose? Yeah. Because I feel like they could have located somebody, somebody that, you know, spoke and could write Russian to make fake yeah. Russian something. So they move in the direction of the main computer consoles and, and, and everything. And unfortunately, there is a 
dead person sitting in the main seat where Markov <laughs> needs to be. So all she says is just like, I need to be here. And so they kind of delicately move the person away and she sits down and starts going, you know, typey typey on the computer and um, then, you know, reports to everybody that everything's okay. And she takes off her gas mask, which, you know, the whole team had been wearing. Um, and then I did like how like Teal takes off his mask and he looks around and then stoic response is like, yes, the air appears to be fine. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not quite sure where he's like the air quality authority, but, yeah. but I was there for it. It was nice. Yeah. Um, but you can see that Markov is like visibly upset. She's crying and she's, you know, trying to hold it together. So they ask if she's okay. And she replies with, I knew these men and women, some of them quite well, which I thought was a really good thing to add to this story because usually, you know, they go off world, they see this catastrophic event, they see all these people that have died, but it's, you know, faceless, nameless people. So I thought it was a really neat touch to have, you know, to bring it back home and have somebody, you know, someone who knows them and is feeling emotion at what has happened. Yeah. Yeah. I did like that too. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. Did they talk about that at all in the commentary or were they just like, no, no, (laughs) no, they didn't really touch on that. No, Mm. but yeah, I like that. It was just, yeah. Like you said, it was, it wasn't just random faceless dead people. It was like, these were her friends and colleagues and now all of them are dead. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't know why, and it's sad. Nope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which that was something they brought up in in the commentary when they're sort of talking about this episode, where oftentimes in sort of TV and movies, like the audience gets information before the protagonist or whoever, and a lot of the the story is trying to get the protagonist to catch up with what the audience knows, and here the audience gets the information at the same time that like SG One does. Mm-hmm. Like the questions we have, like they have, and we don't get the, an- we, the audience don't get the answers until they get them on screen, oh, which make it sort of, yeah. which sort of amps up the sort of the tension a bit, because at this point we still don't know what happened. We don't know why this gate is still on. It's not like we have information. We're like, Oh, when are they going to find out this little bit of thing? It's, Still, nobody knows what's going on, audience or character-wise, which is really interesting from, like, a storytelling perspective. I do like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's everything more suspenseful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, she keeps looking at the computer, trying to read the logs, trying to figure out what's going on. And then she does find out in the logs what happened. Um, well, sort of. Mm-hmm. She explains that the head of the base, Colonel Sokolov, enacted the extreme measures protocol which released nerve gas all around the base um okay though because it has since dissipated they enacted it the day before and it evaporates in like three hours they're okay um but that made me think the fact that they even have that of the hit the red button and everybody is dead like i don't know what do you what do you think about the fact that that even like exists it seems very Russian. <laughs> I don't, that, I mean, it is, I mean, it's extreme measures protocol. And that is very, very extreme where just something has gone wrong. Boom. Everybody's dead. Like, yeah. 
I highly doubt that exists at the SGC. There's no way something like that exists at the SGC. Um, And it's just like, what, like how, (laughs) how many SGC reports had they read that led them to have to be like, we need something in place in case something goes wrong that just kills everybody on base. Like what information did they get that led them to need that kind of protocol. Right. And the fact that they, as we learned later, they hadn't, they had visited less than 10 planets. Yeah. (laughs) They had been in operation for less than two months. Yeah. And already ran into a situation where the head of the base was like, nope, we're done killing everybody. This, this is how we, this is how we save the planet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is very extreme for sure. I would love to have a conversation with General Hammond and be like, <laughs> what what needs to happen in order for you to make that decision on this base? Because oh, yeah, Hammond would never <laughs> make that call. Are you kidding me? No, no. Like what? Yeah, given <laughs> given the four seasons that we've been through so far. Yeah. The planet Earth almost getting blown up by external aliens. Yeah. No, they were like, hmm, we're fine. We're, it's all good. It's fine. It's totally cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. Send SG-1 and it'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they're fine. Yeah. I just, she, yeah, she talked about that and I was like, holy crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yep. So at that point in time, they figure out that there are two main issues that they need to figure out. Number one. Why were people shooting at each other? Mm-hmm. And number two, why is the Stargate still active? So at this point in time, um, Markov hands Daniel a list conveniently that is right in front of her of, yeah. <laughs> of all of the personnel that were supposed to be on the base to go around and, you know, identify all the personnel they can by their dog tags and name tags, you know, whatever, see if they can mm-hmm. find out anything that way. And the rest of the group was going to deal with how do we turn off the Stargate? Yeah. Um, so uh, Carter and Markov and Jack are still in the room. Uh, Markov is still reading the logs to see if she could find out more information there. And so she is trying to find out more information. And aside from the 38-minute rule, the Extreme Measures Protocol should have also cut off the DHD, which... Why is the Stargate still active? So um, Carter comments that they have seen a situation before where the gate was drawing power from the destination. (laughs) And so she's like, oh, yeah, the black hole incident. And then they look at each other and O'Neill's like, is there anything you don't know? Yeah. (laughs) She knows too much at this point, I think. Yeah. 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 Which definitely gets your brain going of like, who has been leaking them this information? Who could it be? Who could it be? Yeah. Find out. Yeah. Um, so as she's reading, she all of a sudden gets up and runs over to a container and checks it and realizes that whatever was in the container is now missing. And she's mm-hmm. very upset about this. Um, she then later explains that the first planet that they successfully dialed was actually a planet that was fully submerged in water. Yeah. The, the container held a sample of the water as it seemed to hold amazing properties that they might eventually be able to use for clean energy. 
and she had instructed the team to not do anything with the sample until she returned from Moscow, but it obviously appears that that is not what happened. Mm-hmm. And the gate is currently dialed into the water planet. Yeah. And it's yeah. a going wormhole, so we have that going for us. Yes. Um, so ultimately what they decide to do is try to reactivate the drone that they had initially sent through the Stargate to see if they can find any additional information. And this is where the joke comes into play of the episode being called Watergate. Yeah. Because it was originally said as a joke of, hey, we'll call it Watergate. And then it stuck. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ah, that is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one thing I thought of, so what do you think, um, how do you think they were actually getting their gate addresses? Because she said that they, this water planet was the first successful one that they went to. It's one that the SGC nice. hasn't gone to. And it was the mm-hmm. seventh planet that they tried. So obviously they weren't just going to the same places as like the mission reports that they somehow got their hands on. Yeah. I mean, given what we find out in a few minutes, I'm I'm guessing they had the Abydos cartouche addresses. Mm. And or maybe going if SGC was going top to bottom, they went bottom to top. Oh yeah, and just kind of picked other ones on the list the SGC hadn't gone to yet. Yeah. That was yeah. that was sort of just my gut feeling was yeah, they had the Abydos cartouche and just went like yeah the other way from where the SGC would have gone oh yeah that would totally work yeah yeah I like it um so after that we cut to a short scene where Daniel and Teal'c have started trying to identify bodies and you know lay them out respectfully in bags um although Daniel is collecting dog tags that are actually like U.S. dog tags not Russian dog tags (laughs) Yeah, which apparently just has to do with the sort of the rubber bumpers around the like the edges of the dog tags. Apparently that's the only difference is like the Russian dog tags don't have that sort of bumper around the edges, like that black rubber. Yeah, the thing I read also said something about um, the, you know, the different information that's on it is like the serial number is large or, you know, some, something about how the information yeah. is also laid out on them. Obviously not like we would have seen that from our point of view, but yeah, I'm like, we yeah, don't really get close enough to see. Yeah. What information is actually physically yeah. on the dog tags. But thought that was interesting. That was another thing where I was like, Hmm, I feel like they did that wrong on purpose. Um, <laughs> but so the, the cut scene to them doing this, there is a radio call from Jack saying that, you know, there's something that Daniel has to see. So they go back to the control room and Daniel and Tilk report that they have found 28 of the 47 names on the list. Uh, Daniel points out that the men who were shot were dressed as civilians, not soldiers. And so Markov identifies them as the scientists that were working in the lab. And so O'Neill makes the observation of, so the guys experimenting on the water gave the soldiers a reason to shoot them. Mm. Interesting indeed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so Daniel looks all confused and asks, you know, what water? And so Carter fills him in on the water and the team gather around the footage that Markov is now showing them from the drone on the water planet. 
And she tells Daniel that they found some unusual ruins from an obviously extinct civilization on the ocean's floor, recording signal from the Renaissance drone. And so what we see on the screen is obviously ocean everywhere and it's beautiful and it's blue and there are big ruins on the perimeters of the screen. And so you can see from this point of view that it's just, just huge and gorgeous and would have been an awesome sight to see. Yes. So she then continues to try and move around the drone to be able to see more information, but she thinks that it's malfunctioning because she can't actually move the drone. She can only tilt the camera from side to side and angles. So she's tilting around the actual camera. Unfortunately, we see that there are actually more people that were originally from the base on the other side of the Stargate who have since drowned in the water. Mm. So not good. Um, and then, so there's an interesting conversation here that I couldn't really wrap my head around. So perhaps you can explain this better. So Carter okay. says, can you shut off the drone's transmitter from here? And Markov says, why? And then Carter says, well, even though the wormhole only allows matter to travel one way, we're able to transmit radio signals back and forth. Mm-hmm. So Markov says, you think the drone's radio transmitter is what's keeping the gate open? Carter says the gate won't close if the drone is aiming a strong enough signal directly into the event horizon. And Markov says, and the energy is being emitted by the water has allowed the gate to stay open this long. So then they come to the conclusion that as long as they turn the transmission off from the drone, then they can close the Stargate. Yes. Which seems very odd to me that a radio signal would... Because it's not matter. Yeah, there is. How would that actually work? Yeah, there is the sort of what does the Stargate consider matter? Um, Because we know matter can only travel one way, but yet radio can go back and forth. Mm -hmm. So it seems they're sort of not just like physical matter, but it's like information, if you will, being transmitted either like either way through the wormhole is something that the gate will recognize of this needs to go through me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because like like we've we have seen that radio communication goes both ways. So that, yes, that is the thing that happens. And so it seems like, the camera on that drone is still on and so is still sending information. So the gate still thinks there's something going through, even if it's not like actual physical matter, the gate is still transmitting information. And because there's some sort of power source, quote unquote, on the receiving side, it's keeping the gate on. I'm trying to think, yeah, I guess all the other instances that we've seen where things are (laughs) sometimes people cut in half or in pieces is due to manually shutting down the gate, not waiting for it just to shut off. Yes, yeah. All right. I think I can dig it. Okay. 
it just seemed odd to me that that's what would be actually, you know, keeping the light on. Yeah, I guess because usually with us when we've done it with the MALP, like we've sent a MALP, scanned, panned, whatever, and then turned the MALP off. So therefore, or we have manually turned our gate off because we can do that. Whereas a DHD powered gate can't be like, turn off. You can't like push that red button in the middle of the, the DHD again and be like, then now you're turned off. You know, like the, the SGC gate is the only gate that has the actual sort of like turn off function Mm -hmm. associated with it. Interesting. I never really thought about that before, of how you mm-hmm. turn it off with a DHD. Does it sit open then for 38 minutes every time? I think it stays open until it's like you're done sending stuff. Okay, and we're done. And mm. it closes off. Yeah. Oh, man. What if somebody runs through at the last minute? They're screwed. <laughs> well, like we saw that Jaffa, he got like the end of his staff weapon cut off. Yeah. Yeah. So. But anyway, so... They come to that conclusion that, yay, all we have to do to shut off the Stargate is to end the transmission on the drone. However, Markov tries to do it remotely, and she can't. And so they're just like, that's okay. How long does the battery last? (laughs) And then she's like, sorry, it is nuclear powered. We had intended it for long-term observation. It will last for the next 10 years. (laughs) (gasps) Whoops. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nuclear powered drone. So yep. they decide, ooh, plot twist, we're going to have to go shut it off manually. And they conveniently have the original submarine. Yay. So they're going to go shut it off manually. So the next scene is them actually preparing to go into the submarine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Markov and Carter are going to go because they are experts on the drone as it were and then daniel wants to go because he wants to investigate the ruins and o'neill says how many people does this thing hold and markov says three and he goes ah damn never been in a submarine (laughs) liar you liar you big fat liar liar pants on fire jack o'neill I know. And the look that she gives the rest that like Markov's expression is so fantastic of like, is this bullshit for real? When she's looking at the rest of the team and the rest of the team knows it and then just kind of look at their feet and (laughs) because they can't really acknowledge it. Like, yeah. 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 I love it. Love it so much. Mm -hmm. Um, So the next scene is what them actually launching the submarine that it has this big crane thing that will position it in front of the Stargate to eventually like feed it through the Stargate. Mm -hmm. And so you see cuts between the people in the submarine and people out of the submarine checking communication devices, making sure everything works. And so I couldn't, I thought it was kind of weird with, okay, so the crane positions the submarine in front of the Stargate and then kind of feeds it into the beginning of the Stargate. And then Mm -hmm. the Stargate seems to kind of like eat it and send it through, which I thought it would have had to have been like pushed from behind to really get through. But, you know, whatever made sense. We have, I mean, we have seen the gate do that before a couple times. Yeah, with, like, um, Apophis's body. Yeah, Apophis's body, and then there was, like, the wreath they sent through when they thought Daniel was dead in, like, fire and water. So, yeah. yeah, there is sort of a history of the gate sort of holding 
objects before sending them through. Yeah. It just kind of looks funny every time. How the Stargate is just kind of like sucking it up and. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. So um, the next cuts are kind of like back and forth between the group and the, the group that are in the submarine and the group that are in the control room kind of communicating with each other, making sure everything's okay. Daniel and Carter are talking in their surroundings and there's a funny bit where Daniel's ears are blocked. So he just kind of like, loudly repeats <laughs> yeah. everything yeah. they have just said. Yeah. And so when they get to the other side, they observe that there are only five more bodies on the other side. So it means that there's still a lot of people that are missing. Yeah. So Jack and Tilk are going to have to go do another sweep to see if they can find the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. And the submarine team is going to proceed with finding the drone and shutting it off. Yeah. And so they end transmission. And then there's a time lap where we see that Stargate is shut off, which means that hopefully they actually did find the drone <laughs> and turn yes. it off. Yeah, and it was successful because then the next cut is the the drone team going oh great i'm glad that that worked yeah (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah so one thing that i also did read in the fun facts division is that um the common thing that people say on tv shows of over and out before they end a transmission is actually an oxymoron because you're supposed to say over when you're ending your statement and awaiting a response and you're supposed to say out when you terminate all radio contact. Yeah. The fact that everybody says over and out is basically like, I'm waiting for an answer. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of those, yeah, weird things that comes up like in every time, yeah, there's any kind of radio talk over and out is completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I never... I never knew about that before or even, you know, thought of it. And so when I read this, when, you know, Markov says it, when they end the transmission to continue on the submarine, I was like, that's funny. Now I'm going to think about that every single time and be like, you're saying it wrong. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not supposed to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so the next thing we see is the time lap after the submarine group after the Stargate has been shut down and they're like, Ray, we're good. We're happy that that worked but that still doesn't solve the mystery of why there are dead people around um so daniel suggests that perhaps examining the ruins would help because obviously from seeing the ruins it means that there was another presence on the planet before it was submerged in water and so they tried to move the submarine closer to the ruins to you know, have a better look at them. But the more and more Dr. Markov keeps trying to go forward, the submarine is kind of fighting her on it until the part where she's just completely stuck, but at full power and she overtaxes the engine and kind of blows it out. Yeah. Not good. So unfortunately they are temporarily stuck, but Mm -hmm. yay, she can fix it. And Mm -hmm. so in the meantime, it cuts back to O'Neill and Tilk, which are searching the base and they've reached the kitchen and they discover, I thought it was funny, the little touch they put in where they discover that the oven is still on. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a thing in the commentary where there was actually supposed to be kind of a joke line here about like, oh, and they overcooked the pies too, but it was just sort of like, that didn't really do anything plot wise, like that sort of quip and, and the sort of like, 
there was like 50 people dead. I think we can sort of cut the quippiness down a little bit too. Um, But yeah, there was supposed to be sort of a little joke from Jack there. It's like, no, let's just, okay, turn, let's just turn stuff off and be done with it. Yeah. 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 So they're inspecting the kitchen and they see footprints going to the freezer and they cautiously open the freezer who do they find in the freezer standing there completely frozen like a statue is who is it? Mayborn. 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 How is this man not in jail in the United States of America? I know. So when last we saw Mayborn, it was actually in the episode Shades of Grey where Jack had to go undercover to <laughs> blow up his, his off-world operation of stealing technology. Yes. And we had not heard. So ha- so somehow he was not arrested or was yeah. arrested and somehow got out of it and made his way to Russia. Yes. And then everything makes so much sense with leaking information yes. about the SGC and whatnot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And apparently the, the Holy Frozen Bad Guys line was ad-libbed by Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> and it is a good one. It is a good, good one. Yeah. Like, yeah. I like that one. Um, I also found it interesting that Mayborn is actually wearing what looks like a Russian uniform. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. he's actually like working like not just with the Russians, but for the Russians at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. So he must have made some sort of I will come work for you because otherwise I'm going to die in jail type deal. Yes. Yeah. Or something of that nature, which yeah. personally, I don't remember one way or another. So it will be fun to find out if that actually gets revealed or not you probably remember i do not i don't oh so we actually did find out together maybe oh man yeah okay here's here's something i read in one of the things that i like here here a question so mayborn is found just like standing completely upright frozen in the freezer Usually when a person freezes, they would be like, they usually found sort of like huddled to try and keep warm, like him just standing completely straight upright. Is that weird? Like what, like, what did you think about like the, the physical position that Mayborn is in, in the freezer? Eh, I thought like, yeah, it's weird for someone to just be standing there. But as we learn later, he was not in control of his body. Oh, that's yeah. Okay. So it wasn't actually him jumping in the freezer. It was something else forcing him into the freezer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's what I thought about that one. Okay. Okay. Um, so at this point, the cuts between the team that's in the submarine and the team that is still on the base are, you know, quicker going back and forth because the team is dealing with being stuck in the water and peril happening. And the other team is like, oh, my God, Mayborn, what the hell? So um, we cut back to the submarine with Daniel and Carter hanging out, you know, doing whatever while Markov is trying to fix the submarine. And so... Daniel asks her if, you know, she can fix it. And then she says, I think I can fix it. And he's like, wait a minute. You said five minutes ago you could fix it. (laughs) And so there's this bit after Daniel is pressing her 
can she fix it? And she says, I think I can fix it. And he's like, wait, five minutes ago, you said you could definitely fix it. And now you just think you can. And she's like, what do you want to hear? I don't understand why this happened. And he's like, well, given the obvious solid craftsmanship of this thing, I don't see how this could possibly happen. And she's like, if you're implying that everything Russian made is poor quality, actually, the sub is Swiss. I love, I know. It's just like, ha, 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 ha. Screw you. This rub is, this sub isn't Russian. So stop whatever you're thinking about how the poor quality of this thing is because it's actually Swiss. So, meh. It totally reminded me of the line in the movie Armageddon where they are with the Russian. It's the scene where they go to the International Space Station to flute fuel up and they, you know, uh, you know, bad stuff happens and they have to eventually escape. But on the way, they pick up the Russian cosmonaut and they have to fix something. And he says the line of like, American components, Russian components, all made in Taiwan. <laughs> like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like one yeah. of my favorite things from the scene. Yeah. But so Daniel follows up this awesome line with, so they occasionally catch fire, but they keep perfect time. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> he does backtrack and say he's been hanging out with Jack too long. Still. Yep. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> they should have just left it at Markov's awesome. If you're implying that everything Russian made is poor quality, actually, this obvious Swiss. Yes. Would have loved it. Yes. <sighs> so. Yeah, she's trying to. So they can't figure out why the sub is stuck. Nothing is impeding the submarine whatsoever. But Sam notices that the pressure outside seems to be increasing. And I did read somewhere that, like, the gauge she's looking at is completely wrong for this Im- yeah. or the information that it would tell her. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. one of those TV magic things. I'm like, oh, my God, the pressure is increasing. Yeah. Because, like, on a sub, depth and pressure are the same thing so it's just it's basically the same dial but they wouldn't they wouldn't be separate dials because it's anyway yeah yeah but this is a no good very bad thing because if the pressure keeps increasing then you know they will be crushed and the sub will implode so not good um (laughs) but so so then it does a cut back to the group that's in the kitchen and they have since taken Mayborn out of the freezer and laid him on the table next to like the fry crisper or, you know, like the, <laughs> the heat lamps yeah. that they used to keep the food warm. Yeah. Which. Okay. <laughs> like, it's like, I do sort of wonder if that was just where there was space to lay him out or if they actually had the conscious thought of there are heat lamps here. This man is frozen. Let's put him near the heat lamps. I don't I don't think we ever get a really an actual answer to that of if where they put him was actually purposeful with the heat lamps yeah. or if it was just sort of really where there was funny. room to put him. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I just found it hilarious where they were like laying him out like a giant fry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So what we get from this quick cut is that like they lay him out and they're like, aren't frozen people supposed to be dead? <laughs> but he's obviously not dead. Um, He actually starts breathing. So that yeah. is weird. It yeah. is weird. Yes. So they're a little freaked mm-hmm. out. Um, back on the sub, Daniel is asking Markov to tell her about her experience from the first time that they went to the planet, because maybe that would help in their current situation. 
Um, so she tells them just, you know, the basic details of like they came in, headed for the DHD, dialed Earth, went back home. But like when they ask her for the question, she also mentions that right before they went back through the Stargate is when they took the water sample and then they did feel resistance going back through the Stargate. But Markov thought that that was some sort of, you know, special thing that the Stargate does to prevent the water from just like streaming through the Stargate. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so that brings up a whole other interesting conversation about, you know, Stargate lore of, because Carter goes into this whole thing about how she has a theory that the Stargate can actually tell the density of the matter and what's going through and all that stuff. And so I think this episode's really interesting from that point of actually starting to explain how they think the Stargate works. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there's almost sort of, there's starting to be hints of a sort of, I don't know if you want to call it like an AI within the gate technology that's able, like you said, to decipher if something is actually trying to go through the gate or if something just sort of happens to be in the way of the gate. Yeah. 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 It is very so, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like how they do that. Whether or not it, you know, ends up being consistent with how they've <laughs> had the Stargate <laughs> operate in the past. Yeah. I thought it was cool that they're starting to be like, I'm quite sure fans should <laughs> should have the satisfaction of yes. laying down some Stargate ground rules. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which I like. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that cut ends because the stub starts creaking in a very ominous, oh, that's not good kind of way. So when we go back to the kitchen... Um, Mayborn has defrosted enough where um, he starts to move his body like his arm that was frozen in place kind of starts to go down and Teal'c says that his heart is now beating and there's a creepy part where like his eyes start moving and looking yes. around when they call his name yeah that <laughs> oh yeah that's creepy that was a little like <gasps> yeah I don't like it I don't like it no yeah, no thank you very, no like jagged looking around the room all like creepy zombie like and so then back on the submarine you know they're starting to get a little bit worried of like what's holding the sub in place and they uh try to drive now that markov has fixed the engine but they're still not moving so she turns it back off saying you know if we just keep if we keep pushing the engine it's going to blow out again and i don't know how if i can fix it the next time Mm -hmm. and um if they don't get out of this pickle they will either run out of air or be crushed, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> that one ends with them just talking about all the many ways that they could die if they don't get out yes. of this, which, yeah, Dan yeah. likes that one for sure. Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting that, like, Sam and Markov are just like, oh, here's all the ways we could die, and Daniel at some point is just like, can we maybe figure out how to not die? Like, it's cool <laughs> that we might be crushed, but could we maybe figure out how to not be crushed by the imploding sub. That would be cool if we could just figure out how to not die in this situation. <laughs> that that would be great. Yeah. 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 So then back in the kitchen, Mayborn has thawed enough to suddenly sit up on the table. Um, but he does it very rigidly and almost like zombie-like. He doesn't look mm-hmm. like he's quite all there. Um, He doesn't say anything, but he tries to get off the table and leave the room. And so O'Neill, you know, draws his gun and starts yelling at him to stop 
otherwise he will shoot. Teal blocks his path. And so then he turns around and kind of looks around the room, like assessing the situation. And then um, he's, he just kind of like clutches his chest and drops to the floor and then starts coughing up water. And then all of a sudden he's like back to normal. And yeah. then he starts frantically screaming that they have to get back in the freezer if they want to live. Yes. And so um, Jack looks at Teal'c, who is, like, standing over the water, and then the water, like, kind of soaks up into this, like, vapor bubble, and then, like, Teal'c inhales the vapor and then goes rigid and then goes, like, zombie-like, and so Mayborn takes this opportunity to shove Jack into the freezer and close the door, screaming, like, you can't help him, we have to stay in here or we live! Um which I thought was actually weird because as we find out, they like the aliens are not actually responsible for anyone dying. Well, so, unless he thought that they were going to get shot, which is entirely possible because yes. he doesn't know how long it's been. Yeah. If th- there are definitely a lot of unanswered questions at the end, it was like, why did those people get shot? And I think. I do think it has to do with this alien, like those people were trying to prevent whoever was possessed by the water from leaving. So therefore, whoever was possessed by the water shot those people Mm -hmm. to get them out of the way. So I do do think Mayborn thought if they tried to stop Tilk, they would get shot because... That seems to be the experience of what happened to the other people on the base. Yeah. Yeah, but I definitely thought that was an interesting attitude to have of like, back in the freezer if you want to live. It was very yes. Terminator. <laughs> yes. There was, there was a, a, an interesting thing from the commentary at this point where the sort of the, the barfing up of the water, they never really got that effect Right. Like it never it 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 that was not how they wanted it to be. Like oh, they, like they I were not that would happy. have been had a weird to film. <laughs> yeah, well, because they, they sort of did the thing where they were sort of, you know, like a, a pipe on the side of their face that was away from the camera that just had water pumping through it and then would sort of get tweaked in post with, you know, CGI and stuff. But it just they were never happy with how that effect came out. Oh. On camera, yeah. Did they describe how they kind of imagined it that it didn't turn out that way? Or I, I, Martin said it was just sort of the sort of the staticness of um, like Mayborn when he was puking up, though he was just sort of on all fours with like water streaming out of his mouth and wasn't really sort of like heaving. He, like yeah, like heave. I think they said that word that actual like heaving. Yeah. Like Christopher Judge did it a little better with sort of actual physical like expulsion of the water but yeah even with when it like christopher judge does it later they were never really happy Mm -hmm. with how that effect came out (laughs) i love getting actors notes and they would be like you didn't puke right (laughs) (laughs) can you just like eve a little more (laughs) yeah no can you just pretend it's like saturday at three in the morning and you had nothing but tequila Oh, I know that feeling. No. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, go for it. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So the cut is back to the submarine team. Now that the other two are back in the freezer. 
Um, but so the submarine team is now trying to think their way out of what could possibly be holding them in place. So the sub is being held there like it's being squeezed, but it's just water outside. But is it water outside? What test did you run on it? It's like, I don't know. We didn't get the chance. It was just giving off living energy and holding a steady temperature. And they're like, you no chemical test on it. She's like, I didn't get the chance. And finally they're like, aha, so it may not be water outside of the submarine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What so, if it's not water? You know. Very good question. Yes. I Mm-hmm. I, I yeah I, I did enjoy that cut a lot of just the exchange of like is it water is it yeah what test did you I don't know it's, it was like that I don't know Margot kind of <laughs> <laughs> why is the floor wet <laughs> I don't know Margot <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so, yeah that that cut ends with um you know the the view glass and the submarine continuing to make creepy oh crap we're running out of time noises and back in the freezer. Mayborn is kind of starting to tell Jack, you know, his story of what happened, that he was there with the lab team. They did try to do chemical tests on the water. Should have listened to Markov. Yep. When they exposed the water to the air, it immediately evaporated and it forced them to inhale the vapor. And then he describes that they were like being controlled by these microscopic life forms in the water. So like they were aware but they were being, their bodies were being controlled. And that's very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so everyone that was controlled by the life forms was trying to get back to the Stargate room and return through the Stargate. And the soldiers that were shooting them were trying to stop them. But whenever, you know, somebody was shot down, the water vapor would just like infect somebody else and, you know, take over a new body. And, one person was able to get to the Stargate enough to engage it mm-hmm. and run through the Stargate before the Extreme Measures Protocol was released the gas. Um, Mayborn then hid in the freezer because he couldn't get to the gate room, and somehow the organisms knew that they could survive from being frozen. So, yeah. although it was a very good like exposition of what happened, I thought it was very kind of like movie tv where they were like how do we explain this would not have while we while not having to explain this yes because he explains all this stuff and jack is like how do you know this and he's just like i don't know they just told me they just they just communicated to me yes Mm -hmm. no i just I just i just knew i just knew it's like okay how i mm, yeah yeah so that mm-hmm. cut ends with where Jack is like, okay, so what was in you is now in Teal'c and it's trying to go back to the gate room. Got it. So then he leaves the freezer to obviously, you know, go run to Teal'c. Yeah. Probably afraid that Teal'c is going to run through the Stargate and drown. Right. Which we do not want Teal'c to do that. No, thank we, you. No, we, that would no. not be good. So yeah. back on the submarine team, the team is still trying to brainstorm their current situation. And Daniel seems to be sold on the idea that the water is not water and mm-hmm. suggests that it may actually be a life form. Mm-hmm. Um, Markov is not on board with this plan, but the more Daniel and Carter kind of talk it out, it seems to make sense to them. Because when the previous, you know, they note that when the previous team went and collected the water, the resistance was probably this life form trying to prevent them from leaving, not Mm -hmm. the kind of, you know, gate 
fanciness that they thought it would be. And um, and so then as soon as Carter says, so now it could be perceiving us as a threat, the submarine view gets like a big old crack in it. Yeah. Like punctuating the oh shit, that's probably what's happening. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So then we cut back to Teal'c moving towards the gate room and Jack tries to catch up with him and like physically stop him from going. But, you know, they fight and Teal'c wins and kind of like throws Jack to the ground and he gets knocked out a little bit. And so... Um, I do have to say, I like the way Christopher Judge walks here as he's possessed by the sort of water creature because it's 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 the walk of somebody who doesn't know how to walk. If oh. that makes sense, yeah, like the sort of the, yeah, Zon, I think he did a really good job of portraying I am being possessed by some other entity, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I like that too. Like, also, um, it kind of worked very well because you could see that he was trying to almost fight what was happening to him. Yeah, and that kind yeah. of you know showed the struggle as well. Yeah, definitely. I like yeah. that too. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Back at the submarine team, um, the crack is getting larger, and they're worried because they can't do anything about it. And so Markov runs and grabs a few small, tiny, like personal oxygen tanks, mm-hmm. and they just kind of look at her, and she's like, "It's all we have. It's oh, yeah. all we have." So yeah, then they prepare for the rush of water that's going to come crashing through, and the glass breaks, and it just sits there. What? Nothing. What? And it just kind of sits there, actually looking kind of like a Stargate like event horizon. It kind of does. Yeah. 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 And so they all kind of look at it baffled, like, oh my God, this is. What's going on? (laughs) Is this better or worse? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows at this point? Is this this bad or is this good? We don't know. I don't know. So then it cuts back to Teal'c, who has reached the Stargate. And you can tell at this point that he's definitely trying to fight the control of the micro life forms because he's struggling to tell you and think is slowly across the floor, but he does reach the DHD. He starts to dial in the number the symbols of the water planet. And we cut back to the water planet with the water team staring at the big hole with the water not water in it. And in classic Daniel form. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel's going to Daniel. <laughs> he walks over and starts touching it. And stop the other two are touching like, things. What? Stop <laughs> touching things, Daniel. Why will you stop touching things? And I love how he's just like, I think they just want to understand us. As he's got like his hand just like shoved in the water. How? How? I don't know. I don't. Yeah. No. But. Yeah, so, like, he shoves his hand in it, and then you could actually see the water start to, like, creep up his arm and, like, start to grab him. And so then he quickly is like, oh, that was not a good plan. So he tries to pull back, and the other two run over and try to help him, but, like, they all get engulfed in said water. And not good. Yeah, it reminded me of Abyss. Did you ever see Abyss? Yes! Ooh, I read something that that was actually on purpose. Oh, okay. I did they not were, see that. They were doing okay. a nod to the abyss. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> well spotted because that means they did a good job. Yay. Yeah. Um, and so when we cut back, Jack has woken up from being knocked out. And so he wakes up just in time to see Teal'c finish dialing in the gate address. And so as he kind of watches 
uh, zombie teal walks over to the gate, but then he falls to the floor and, you know, vomits up the water vapor the same way that Mayborn did. And this time we see the water vapor itself just kind of collect and then move towards the gate and then go through the gate and then the gate automatically shuts down until it goes back to normal, like, and they're both sitting on the floor. Which I thought was interesting because it alludes to the fact that, like, the microorganism-y things didn't actually need to possess people to get around if it could just kind of, like, float around wherever oh, yeah. it needed to. <laughs> so yeah. my thought was, like, why didn't they just possess one person to dial in the address and then all just through the gate? That. Oh, yeah. That is weird. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't think about that. But, yeah, that's yeah. very strange where, yeah, they could have just gone through the gate as the sort of smoke vapor being. Yeah. Mm. I mean, maybe that's yeah. what they originally intended to do. And maybe the people that actually ran through the gate, I think they mentioned that they were trying to get away from the gas. But, oh, yeah, because that was right as they enacted that EM protocol. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah, but, could be. But, yeah, I still don't know why they didn't just, like, possess one person to dial in the gate and the rest of them just, like, meep. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. But they themselves yeah. don't get enough time to ponder this because then all seven chevrons immediately, like, light up at the same time and Jack is like, I think we should duck. And just <laughs> Yep. And just as they get down, they barely miss the kawoosh. And Markov and Daniel and Carter are all like thrown through the Stargate like they're getting kicked out of a bar on Saturday night. <laughs> and they just roll and they kind of get up looking dazed. And Jack is like, didn't you have a submarine? <laughs> yeah. And they're all like still looking confused. And they're like, I, I don't know what happened. And so then he ends the episode by saying, here's a thought. We just exchanged hostages. And so then everyone's like, ah. but what's, the funny thing is, is like the people in the submarine may have like no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. They're going to have to fill in later. Yeah. Which this was not the end of the episode. There's another scene. Oh, they, really? Yeah. Okay. This was not the end of the episode. There's another scene where everything like, Actually, they sort of talked through and explained everything, but it had to get cut because the episode was running long. So they ended up cutting it on Jack's, I think we just exchanged hostages line. Well, I mean, it does get the point across. Yeah, but there, there, there is a, there is like a whole nother like three to four minute scene where it all actually gets explained and talked out that ended up getting cut. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my final questions to you is what do Mm -hmm. you think happened to the submarine and the drone. <laughs> I think they're just, they're, they're still just sitting there. They're just sitting there? You don't think they're that the aliens there. were like, no, and like crushed them or? No, I think they're just sitting there. In the abyss. Cause, yeah, because they're not really doing any harm by just being there, so. Yeah. Yeah. They just became part of the ruins. Yep. Like Which will be interesting around. in, you know, 200 years when somebody else goes back to that planet. It's like, hey, what? This doesn't match with that. And then they get stuck and this whole thing just happens again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
Well, in theory, they could someday just reinactivate the drone. Pot, well, at least in within 10 years. Yeah. 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 They go back. Hopefully, though, somebody made notes and was like, don't dial this planet. <laughs> Strike through that one. Don't go here. Water this one's bad. No. no. This, don't go here. No. Mm. No. Yes. So the other thing I read of, you know, fan view discussion points is the mm-hmm. whole thing about if the Kuush like, destroys everything in its path, does that mean every time it opened on the water planet side, it, you know, killed things? Or did it just kind of, like, re position the water to get out of the way yes I did I saw things going either way what what do you think I mean I can see I can see both sides of that argument I honestly can um because it's quote-unquote water um it would I think more easily be physically moved out of the way like the the force of the kawoosh would just sort of push what was there out of the way mm-hmm. um but also is the kawoosh an actual physical thing which i think it is because it destroys stuff in its way but again then i guess the question of just density <laughs> of whatever's in its way comes into play and is water quote-unquote water not dense enough to be able to then just be pushed out of the way rather than consumed by the kush. Mm. I see. I I definitely see both sides of the argument there. Yeah. I choose to think of it as it was moved out of the way. Yes. <laughs> not because otherwise it would have been like just such a weird exchange of yeah. We're we're killing beings to recover beings. Yes. You think that other beings would have been there long enough to figure a way around it? Yeah, I suppose it depends on how intelligent the micro beings actually are. I mean, if they're intelligent enough to possess things. Yeah. 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 Let's pretend it just moved them, you know. Okay, yes. Moved them aside and didn't actually kill anything. Yes, I'm going to go with that too. Let's, yeah, it moved it out of the way, yes. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So where do you think Mayborn was when the rest of them were in the gate room? Because <laughs> he didn't go with them to the kitchen. Oh. I he think he I think he just stayed in the freezer. Yeah. 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 Which here's an interesting tidbit from the commentary. So um so the freezer they were in was like an actual like refrigerated freezer kind of thing. Um but like the sort of frost bit you see is like just dry ice mm-hmm. being dropped down to indicate like coldness. Um, and one of the things they talked about was um, like CGIing, you know, like the breath of like when mm-hmm. you talk in cold, like it yeah. sort of happens at the beginning, there's a little bit in the middle. And then at the very end, like Mayborn like exhales and you get the little like poof of like seeing his breath. Um, yeah. And it brought to, it brought up the episode Solitudes Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Sam and Jack are in Antarctica, they actually to sort of get around that problem because they're in an obviously ice surrounded environment. They actually froze the set like they brought the temperature of the set down below freezing. Oh, so they crap. didn't have to, like, 
CGI their breath. It was just whenever you see their breath in that episode, it's just their actual physical breath because the set is frozen. Oh my god, they just yeah. made the actors suffer. It's like yep. we don't want to have to pay for CGI, so you're just gonna have to freeze. Uh huh. Exactly. Yep. Oh man, that's funny. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. not funny, but funny. Yes. Yeah. Funny because we weren't there. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So I th- uh, yeah, I think Mayborn was still in the freezer slash kitchen, maybe chowing down on some food because who knows how long he'd been locked in the freezer. <laughs> so then I can totally see Jack just being like, "We'll just leave him there for a little." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave him there for a little bit and then go get him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of this episode? It's fine. It's sort of, it's it's like middle of the road for me. Yeah, I don't know. It's fine. It's not terrible. It's not like, oh my God, I love this episode. Like, it's fine. No. Yeah. I thought it was really good for finally starting to, you know, talk about actual Stargate Hmm. technology and lore. Okay. Not to mention me getting to use my Russian accent. Yes. Which was very nice, I must say. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Sometimes yeah. it comes out sounding like Gru. He's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> no. I generally liked this one. I didn't really. I, yeah. What I liked about this is that it really just kind of brought up more discussion questions rather than like plot holes. Yeah. Like I mean, I like this episode. This is this is the sort of net positive episode, if yeah. you will. This was um, in the black. Yeah, but it's like it's not going to be in like my top five for the season or anything like that. Yeah, like it's fine. I I, I have no issues with this episode. I will say that. All right, that's cool. Yes, I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I looked up the other language titles, like mm-hmm. you do, um, I mean, obviously none of the other countries would really participate in the whole Watergate joke. Yeah, so most of them were just a play on some sort of underwater something so i mean we have french being troubled waters we have spanish being the aqua gate Ooh, that's Um, cool czech was just you know water gate aquatic gate hungarian was underwater Mm -hmm. german was planet of water so okay (laughs) so there wasn't there wasn't anything mysterious they were all just other versions of like gate underwater yes so yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and there we have it so that wraps up that. Well, I have I have a memo for this week. You do? I do. Yay! What's your memo? Don't assume the water is just water. <gasps> I like it. Yep. Troubled waters? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's that's my memo for this week since I had to do that since we traded like roles. It. Yay. <laughs> Don't assume the water is just water. Yep. Bridge over troubled water. I'm going to write that one down. Okay. Uh, what else? Um, I think that's we have all. an email. We do have an email. That's right. Let me get that. Um, so this is my friend Harry. Hi, Harry. Thanks for writing Hi, in. Hi, Harry. It seems to be a reference to the episode Maternal Instinct because this episode, the email, sorry, is titled Daniel Omidasala and the Baby. Oh, <laughs> that could mean so many things. I know. So the email <laughs> goes, imagine this. Daniel thinks he's a superhero, so he thanks Omidasala for teaching him. He decides to take the baby back to Earth. 
Omid Dasala knows he's making a mistake, but allows people to make their own decisions. She hmm. saves them from the ghouled attack, but turns invisible and follows them through the Stargate. It's the perfect setup for Oma Dasala to be a sci-fi fairy godmother as she protects the baby from all sorts of ghouled problems. It's a whole new show. Love the podcast. Please keep up the great work. Uh, well, thank you very much. And I mean, that brings up so many hilarious thoughts of Daniel trying to take care of a baby and doing things wrong. And Oma Dasala just sort of being invisible, creeping in and like fixing things behind the scenes. <laughs> that, that would be really funny. So funny. I love it. Yes. I would totally love to see so many scenes where he's like, look, I can teleport things. And you see Oma DeSala like in her hologram just going. <sighs> and she just like picks it up and moves it across the room. He's like, oh, I left the bottle in the kitchen and like Jedi mind tricks it. But it's not. It's just Oma DeSala <laughs> picking up the bottle and bringing I it over. I love that. I would totally be on board with that. That I, Yeah. I'm, I love yes, it. Absolutely. Thank you love for it. that. Yes. Thank you. Please keep writing in with random head cannons like that because we love them. Yes. yes. <laughs> that would have been an excellent spinoff or like at least an outtake somewhere. Yes. <laughs> Little like YouTube shorts of like at, at home with Daniel and the baby ears. All right. Well, we've come to the end of this one. Yes. Do you want to do the outro or shall I do the outro? Sure. I can, I can do it. I can take back over from here. I think. <laughs> uh, well, thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo SG rewatch. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for the first one. Bye. Bye.